has surpassed car accidents. There's a 13% increase in suicides in the last six months. Interesting, right? Not interesting, sad. And so for the first time, as far as accidental deaths are concerned, car accidents used to be right up there. Suicide just surpassed it. 50,000 people will, will, will die this year of suicide. 1.5 million will attempt it. Is that nuts? That's just unbelievable. People will, will, will face life and consider life so hopeless that they want to end their life. It's, it's really sad to see. Um, but I would here to tell you that there's hope. There's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Jesus is the hope. There's always an answer. God loves us. God seeks us. God desires us. And he will help you. And so we're talking about how to overcome stress and worry and find peace. And so the first audience that I want to talk to, and I know you're there, are those that are watching us by live stream. There's somebody that sees a title like that and goes, stress to, stress to bless, how to overcome worry. Oh, I need to hear that. And you do. So if you know somebody that's stressed out and they need to hear this, they need to hear this. And if you, in one of the greatest ways, and inevitably those who are watching this or those who are interested in a topic like this, they don't know Jesus is Lord. And so as I was praying about putting this message together, I felt like this is the first step God would have me to bring to you. If you don't know Christ, you are not, you can never, ever be fully at rest. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it says that without Christ, we are outside of the commonwealth of God's family. Ephesians chapter two, verse 12. And we are ignorant of the covenant and the promises. Without Christ, we have no hope in the world and we are without God in the world. And so if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says that you're outside of the commonwealth of God's family. God's family is a commonwealth. We need each other. We come together and have the ability to come together in moments like this. And there's a mutual strength that's just there just by being together. There's a common blessing that God puts over his sons and daughters. God always provides for his household. God always provides for his children. Jesus said the bread is for the children. Did he not? The Syrophoenician woman came to him and Jesus said, I have no covenant with you. You're asking me for something that I'm not obligated to give to you. What I'm, what I'm, you're, you're calling on an obligation that I give only to my sons and daughters. And people would say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. The Bible tells us that those who receive Christ are given the power to be the children, the sons and daughters of God. Without Jesus, you're created by the Lord, but you're not his son and daughter. And when you receive Christ, you become adopted into his family. And so the Bible says you're outside of the family of God. You're ignorant and without access to the promises of God. As a Christian, when you become a Christian, you have access in to the promises of God. You have access into his grace, which is an amazing thing. When we come before the Lord, the Bible says we come before a throne, a rulership position of grace. He gives us grace. What's grace? Spiritual power moving in love. And so as a believer, you're given access to have to his spirit and to empower you for whatever circumstances you are facing. And he will give you the wisdom. He will give you the strength. He will give you the insight. He will give you the courage. Whatever God says, he will give it to you if you're his daughter or if you're his son. And that spiritual power moving in love is for your any day and everyday circumstances, regardless of what you're facing. But without Jesus, the Bible says you're a stranger to that. You're a stranger to his promises. God's got promises. David said, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. That is a promise. God will not let his children beg for bread. God will not forsake the righteous. There's a promise too that God will give nations for the ransom of his people. Somebody's going to lose a job in order for his sons and daughters to get that. 
You say, that's not fair. I say, there's nothing wrong about, there's nothing fair about favor. If God has to ransom somebody to provide for you, if they've got to take the loss in order for you to have the gain, he will do it. Nothing fair about favor. God will provide for his people. God will provide for his children. And the Bible says, without Christ, you're a stranger to that. And without Christ, you're an alien to those covenants and to those promises. But in Christ, we have access to those things. I told first service, being given the promises of God, being given the spirit of God, being given access to the, to the, to the dominion of God in the spirit is like having a Ferrari in your driveway and never driving it. We have all of these promises and very few Christians actually get in the vehicle and use it. It's very true. It's like how pick a car. I don't know what you like. Escalade. I don't know. Bugatti. I don't, I don't know. You know, Mazi. I like a Mazi. How does a guy like that? I like a Mazi. You know, whatever your car is, whatever the, the vehicle of the moment is, the, the, that's what it's like being given the promises of God and access to the spirit of God is like being given this amazing opportunity and this amazing vehicle, but never accessing it. That's what's wrong. Christians have access to this, but we never do it. Very few. We were driving in a car today and I was telling Alex that like 30% of churches, don't, 70% of American churches don't believe God heals today. Seven out of 10 don't believe that Jesus heals today. That's right. They believe that the miracles ceased and there may be a, just an, 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 evap, an, an appearing moment where God heals someone. But seven out of ten churches, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of ten don't believe. That's overwhelming. And of the 30% that do believe, they believe that God is arbitrary in the way that he manifests his miracles. They believe it's based upon the mood of God. If God's in a good mood, if he, if, if, if he wills. And, and that's why the church doesn't see miracles. That's why the church doesn't see the kingdom. Is because we have, first of all, we have a belief system that's completely contrary to scripture. And the belief system is in the, is in, is in the pulpits. And the pulpits affect the people. You know, you, you will become what you said. You come, when you become a Christian and you come to church and you get up, become a part of a church. The Bible says you come under a yoke, a guiding, a guiding mechanism. Right? There's a yoke of Jesus. The church is supposed to be under the guiding mechanism of Jesus. But you come under the yoke of a teaching. And the yoke of a teaching is what guides you. And the type of church that you go is the type of church you will become. Everything produces after its own kind. And so whatever teaching you're sitting under is what actually literally becomes what manifests in your life. You become a kingdom church like we are, kingdom manifests. You become spirit-filled, power church like we are, kingdom power manifests in your life. Miracles happen. Things happen, right? This is what we are. This is who we are. And without Jesus, you're outside of the family of God. You're ignorant and without access to the promises. And worst of all, you have no hope. Who do you look to when it all falls apart? Dr. Phil? Who do you look to when it all falls apart? Oprah? Who do you look to when it all falls apart? The government? The sad reality is, is that we don't have the means to take care of ourselves in any way. Least of all, having the means to save ourselves or deal with the core issue that we are all born with. We're born with a sin problem. We had a good, having some good conversations lately, and I love it. Guy was just talking to me uh, two weeks ago, and he was asking me. I was talking to him about his faith and like where, where he's at with it all. And he says, "Look, I, I I have a hard time with these things because 
I have a hard time with Christianity and I have a hard time with God because when I look at the world, if God is so good and God is so loving and Jesus is who he says he is, then why was there a Holocaust? Or why are children forced into uh, war zones in, in, in Africa? And why does all of this evil exist? And I told them, it's real simple. The Bible says the heavens, even the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to us. Look no further. Man, the earth belongs to man. We have been given rulership and dominion from the very beginning. And man has fallen in sin. Man is, all of us are born in it. So we're born selfish. We're born corrupt. We're born twisted. We, we twist. That's what the word perverted means is to twist. The, the truths that we believe, the angles that we do, the way we view life is in distortion. And so we are broken people creating broken systems. And we're all dealing with it. We have a broken, broken lives. We have people that are in leadership that are broken. They're creating a broken system. It's a system of injustice. Things fall out of the sky and just good things happen to bad people and bad, th- or bad things happen to good people, whatever, for no particular reason at all. And the reason that that happens is not because God wills it. God is not willing it. Poverty is not God's will, right? It's not. Murder is not God's will. And unfortunately, the person that he was telling me this was, he said he's had these questions before, and he said they would always answer him, well, it's just the will of God, you just got to accept it. Not everything's the will of God. It's not the will of God. It's not the will of God that we die, and that my grandmother died of cancer, it was the will of God. Was it? Well, I lost my job, or I got hit by a car, you know, flew up in the air, came down and crashed and broke every bone in my body. It was the will of the Lord. No, it's not. Sinful people, sinful systems, bad devil empowering those choices. We've lost our context. We blame God. It's actually an affront of his character. It is the bearing of false witness. We are breaking, literally, you want to keep the commandments, you're breaking the tent. By attributing evil unto the Lord, you are breaking and bearing false witness against his character and his nature. You are saying that he is someone that he is not. He tells us who he is. He's good. All the time. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. I tell this church, if it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from Jesus. Look somewhere else. May it came from a sinful person, a sinful place, a sinful thing. May it come from a bad devil, but it didn't come from Jesus if it's not good and perfect. It's just the way it is. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Without hope in the world, the Lord is the hope. I know the plans that I have for you, Jeremiah, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's not God's will. That's the problem is that's how we cannot come forward in the, in the things of what God would have us to do. Because we forget theology. Our thinking is completely wrong. Our thinking is completely wrong about God. We base our, we base our, we base our viewpoint of God upon our experiences rather than truth. He's good. No matter what your experience is, God is good, period. And from that cornerstone, everything else has to be built. If we don't believe that God is good, everything in your life is going to go distorted. God is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is just. He is merciful. You say, well, what happens when evil happens to me? If you're a Christian, the Bible says that God will work everything out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You can't lose. God is an ever-active, victory-working God. Moving even the difficult situations, even your bad choices, He will work it out to your good. Without Jesus, you have no hope. You have no access to hope. 
It's Galatians. It says, unto Jesus Christ, our hope. He is the hope of the world. That's what he is. Without Jesus, man has no hope. There is no hope. But the good news is, is in Christ you can be forgiven. In, in, in Christ you can become a son and daughter. In Christ you can have access to the things. So if you're struggling right now and you don't have Jesus, the number one thing you need to do is give your life to Christ. That's number one. There's nothing more you need to do. You don't need a book. You don't need a counseling session. You know, you don't need to watch nine hours of Dr. Phil. I like Dr. Phil. He's got some good practical advice, but Dr. Phil isn't going to solve your problems. Dr. Phil doesn't have the opportunity or the ability to reach you where you are. Jesus does. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have access to the riches of his grace. When you become a Christian, you have access to his power that will move in and through your life with love. In Christ, we're redeemed. We're brought out. In Christ, we're justified. We're put in a position that no one can take, us, take away from us. God has called you justified. You're justified now to be a son and a daughter. No one can take it away. And you have access into his spiritual power that will move in your life with love. Without Jesus, we're born with a problem. And sin is the problem. We're born in it. That's why we must be born again. Born again, Christians. That's what it's all about. Born again. Those are the best kind. I believe in my mind. You're not converted. You got to believe in your soul and your heart. Your soul must be converted. There must be a conversion experience, an encounter where something happened with you and your life shifts and you don't know what happened, but something happens. That's the reality of Christianity. Sin is blindness. It's an amazing thing when you realize sin is blindness. People actually believe they're good people. I mean, seriously. Right? If you ask anybody, they're going to say, I'm a good person. I, be- well, I, don't, I don't believe I'm a sinner. I believe I'm, oh, I do some wrongs here or there. But I don't believe I'm a, I'm a bad person. I'm a good person. Because that's the very thing that sin does, is it blinds you to the reality of what really you are. Or where you are, the condition that you're in. Dorian Gray. Favorite story. If you ever read that. Good book. Portrait of Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray was a good looking guy, rich guy. Had a portrait made of him. And he, for some moment, he had an epiphany and he said, I wish that all of the evil that I do to appear on the painting and not, be, not affect my life. And so Dorian Gray went about his life doing all kinds of sinful behavior, all kinds of wickedness. And as he began to live his life, he would only see himself as beautiful and unchanged. But the picture, the picture became distorted. The picture began to mutate with all of the actions. And it became so grotesque that he couldn't look at it anymore. And so he put it up in the attic of his house. And so one day, and he kept living that way and living that way and living that way. And then he had to cover it because he couldn't even look at it. So not only is it in the attic, it's covered. And then one day he goes upstairs after, again, more escapades. And he pulls the cover off of the painting. And he sees how grotesque the painting actually is. He sees himself differently than he actually is. You get the moral of the story here? He has a view of himself that's completely contrary to what he really is. And he sees the image of what he really is. He grabs a pair of scissors and he rips the painting. And when he rips the painting, he falls down dead. And there lies Dorian on the ground, grotesque now, and the painting is back to normal. Moral moral of the story. Dorian saw himself different than what he is. That's one of the things sin does is it blinds us. Blinds us to what we are. Blinds us to our lost state. Blinds us. The Bible says if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whom the God of this world has what? blinded their eyes they can't see 
Sin causes blindness. Sin causes separation. We're born separated from God. Aliens to his covenants. Aliens to his promises. Strangers to the commonwealth of God's family. We're born sinners. All of us are born sinners. Sin is not an external thing that you do. Sin is an inward thing that you're born with. It is the self-consumed behavior that rules your life. Bad choices, bad problems, it's all about me. I don't think we're born with sin. I always tell people, have you ever seen children? Have you ever looked at a child? Those innocent children. A beautiful grandchild. He's about to turn two. He's learning words. He's discovered the word no. Okay? He hasn't quite discovered the word mine yet, but he definitely has the actions. Sweet little baby that would give me, give me your car, Rowan. When he was a year, he would give it to me. Now that he's two, he's like, give it to me. (laughs) Now he ignores you when he used to look at you, you know? The sin is beginning, the sinful nature is beginning to show. He has a new phrase. He just, my daughter just sent me a video of him with a new phrase. He goes, no way, Mama Sita. That's what he says. (laughs) With toddlers and children, it's, if, if you have it and I want it, it's mine. That's it. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If I see it, it's mine. If I think about it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. Even if I let you borrow it, it's still mine. Even if I give it to you as a gift, it's mine. I can take it back at any time. It's a sin nature. We're born with sin. It's not the outward actions. It's the inwardness. That's why we were born with this. We can't do anything about it. It's a stain upon our lives. It's a weight upon our lives. And we cannot remove it. Bible says, though you wash with much soap and much lye, yet your sin remains. You can't wash it off. You can't get it off. Bible tells us too, if, although I give all of my goods to the poor and give all of my body to be born. To, to be, but if I have not love, which is Christ, God is love. But I have not Christ, it profits me nothing. I can give it all away. It doesn't remove my sin. I can do all these wonderful works, these outward deeds, but it doesn't remove my sin. The only thing that can remove the sin of man, the only thing that can lift the condemnation off of mankind is Jesus Christ alone. And you have to commit your life to that. You have to give him your life. Psalm 38, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are heavy on me. Right? Sin is a weight. Psalm 32, when I refuse to acknowledge my sin, this is David, my body wasted away. A lot of people with health issues and things that are going on, and there's, there's sin issues that, that, that's causing these things. David says, I will confess my sins to you, and I will stop trying to hide my guilt. I, I will say, I will confess to the Lord my rebellion, and he will forgive me. David said, when I hide it, it doesn't go well. That's what people do. They run from the Lord. They pretend like he's not there. They know the truth. Their heart testifies of the truth. But their mind reasons it away. David said, the more I did that, the worse it got. The more I left of him, the more I ran from him. My God, there are people right now, you've known, God's been calling. There's an echo in your heart that you refuse to give yourself to. God has been calling you. He's been witnessing you. But you would not. There's a verse for you. There's a story for you in the book of Isaiah. Said, I would draw you to myself, but you said no. I would bring you near, but you said, I will run. And the Lord says, And run you shall, until you are left, trembling as a pole upon a hill. But the Lord will wait to be gracious to you. Isn't that amazing? What a story. 
I said, I would take you to myself, but you tell me no. I would draw you close to me, but you said I'm running away. And the Lord says, go ahead and run. Oh, I forgot this part. But what pursues you will be faster than you. You think you can run away? You think you can handle this? You think that the overwhelmingness of life will not overtake you? It will. And you'll be standing on a hill, just a pole, no leaves, no branches, just a pole, exposed before the world. And the Lord says, but I'll wait for you so that I can be gracious to you. God's waiting for you. He will be gracious to you. doesn't matter how many times you run. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. All who come to me, I will not cast away. If you confess Christ, he will forgive you. If you confess Jesus and ask him into his heart, he will, he will forgive you. He will lift the weight of sin and he will put hope in your heart. You have a new day, a new beginning. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgressions is forgiven. This was David's conclusion. If I hide my guilt, I waste it away. It's like a burden on me. I couldn't get away from it. I'm going to confess my rebellion. The Lord will forgive me. And when he does, blessed will I be. You want to go from stress to blessed? Step one, confess Jesus. If you've never confessed Christ, there's no way for you ever to go from stress to blessed. Ever. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is removed. Isaiah 118, we can't do anything about it. And the Lord says, come and reason with me. Though your sins be a scarlet, sin is a stain on our lives, in our lives. The Lord says, though your sins are stained upon your life like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Why would he do that? Because he's good. Because he's kind. Because he's generous. And because he can. And because he has chosen to love us. He has chosen to love man. When you're born in sin, you're born in separation. You can't fix you. Only Jesus can fix you. Amen. Only Jesus can fix you. You can fix you. He offers a free gift. You say, well, how do I know that he'll, he'll give it to me? You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, the Lord is greater than your heart and he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. He knows everything. He knows what you've done, who you are. He knows the reasons why you've done it. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he already knows. He already knows. So what are you hiding for? He knows it anyway. He's just waiting for you to deal with it. He's waiting for you to give your life to him. He wants you to give your life to him. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll do it. Your name's in the Bible. Do you know that, Lisette? Your name's in the Bible? You're a whosoever. Do you know that? Tell your name's in the Bible. You're a whosoever. John, your name's in the Bible. You're a whosoever. Yeah, John's like, I already know. My name, John, is in the Bible. <laughs> All. That means you. Whosoever. Calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 5 says we become justified by peace. And we have access to God through faith. Amen. So we're going to do something at the start of this teaching. That ordinarily in some days we do at the end of the teaching. And as I was praying for this and praying over this message, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. I didn't even include this in, in the original notes that I had, but I felt like God was telling me to do it. Because I believe whether now or in the future, someone is going to be watching this and they're going to need to hear this. And they're going to need to be given an opportunity to receive Jesus. And today's your day. Not tomorrow, not next week. Good news. Today's your day. And so we're going to pray to receive Christ. If you've never received Christ and you're feeling this weight of stress and you're saying, man, I don't know how to get out from under it. That's why I'm watching this message, man. But you make me about want to turn it off. Don't you turn it off. Don't you change the channel. Don't you change the screen. 
I want you to give you, I want you to do and be courageous. I want you to step into the wisest thing you could ever possibly do and to commit the most bold and courageous and heroic act you could ever do in your life. And that's give your life to Jesus. You say, how do I do it? With simple prayer. All you have to do is open your heart. We pray here as a family at Elevate. We pray together. And if you're at home and you're with other people, everybody just pray together. Just go for it. Go for it. What would people think of me? Who cares? Who cares? Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. That's a sobering thought. Nobody's opinion matters except Jesus's. Nobody. I got up in a prayer line and walked to the front of the church in front of all my coworkers when I gave my life, when I rededicated my life to Jesus. And I didn't care. Those people had never done anything for me. I wasn't living for them anymore. I wasn't living for their opinions. I wanted the Lord. And if you want the Lord, today's your day. He's not begging. He's offering. He doesn't cast pearls before swine. If your heart is arrogant and you don't want it, then turn away. But if you're humble and you know that you need this, today's your day. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. Let's go for it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you came, you died, and you rose again. For me, I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now that we've made some Christians out there, now you're a Christian. Now we're going to start talking about promises. Right? So now the answer now is like, is I'm a believer, Kevin. What do I do? I'm a believer and I'm struggling with this stress mess. What do I do? Does the Bible have an answer for it? Good news. He does. And now those of you who confess Jesus, you have access to these promises. Good news. Hebrews, or Philippians chapter 4. Ready? Paul says, if you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than a human mind can understand. This peace will keep your thoughts quiet. People are like, man, I want that. This peace will put your heart at rest as you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, do these things. Well, what things? You know, the Bible is very, very... um, uh, When it comes to the subject of worry or comes to the subject of stress, it devotes a lot of time to it. Like entire sections of the Bible are given to that topic. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a whole section of his time and of his teaching on not to worry. Philippians chapter 4, the whole chapter of chapter 4 is related to not worrying and not being stressed. Do you know that? That's how important it is. And so Paul is talking here in, in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, and, he's gonna, and we're going to go back and we're going to look at the things that Paul said to do in order to experience God's peace. But he promises, if you do these things, the peace of God is going to come to you. You're going to experience and you're going to live from a place where that's not stressful. And what's the first thing? Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to say it. I need to make a quality decision not to worry about anything. Right. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing. So that's easier said than done. Why should I not worry? I'm worried all the time. Give me a reason why I shouldn't worry. I'll give you four. Worry is unreasonable. Don't worry about life, what you will eat or drink. Matthew chapter six, 
about your body or what you will wear? Is not life more important than your body? Is, not, is your body not more important than clothes? God says there's bigger things. There's more important things than the thing that you're worried about. There's bigger issues in play. Worry's not really reasonable because a lot, anybody ever worried about something and then it worked out, right? Anybody know, right? Yeah, all the time, right? There we go. Got an honest person over here, right? So if you worry about something, then it works out. Then you're like, why was I so worried? Why? And then you're just about the time you're calmed down, then something else comes in, then you start freaking out about that, you know? We, a lot of us go from worry mountain to worry mountain to worry mountain. Worry only exaggerates the problem. It makes it bigger. You stew and you, it stews and it brews, but it never do, right? Stewing and brewing and never doing. That's what worry does. It just stews, it brews, but it doesn't do anything. Never really accomplishes anything. It's never really any purpose to it. Worry is unnatural. Did you know that? God never created you to worry. So we have a whole creation on the earth. And there's only one part of that creation that ever worries. And it's human beings. Your dog's not worried. Your cat's not worried. Birds aren't worried. You ever seen um, like wildebeest go down to the watering hole in Africa? There can be bones all over the ground. They're not worried. Just go down there and get drink. You know, lion comes, they run off, they come right back. They're not worried. <laughs> say they're afraid of getting eaten. No, they're afraid of being chased. So when they see the lion, they run away, you know, but the, the bones aren't any indicator. So animals don't worry. Birds don't worry. Dogs don't worry, but humans worry. It's unnatural to our spiritual condition. It's natural to our fallen condition, but it is unnatural to our spiritual condition. In your flesh, like in the circumstances that you find yourself in, in your everyday, in your Monday through Saturday day, you find yourself in natural circumstances. And the natural part of you worries and fears, doesn't it? Right? It does. But when you're in the spirit, there's not a worry in the world at all. Some people come here and they go, oh man, I feel really... I feel, as soon as I come here, I just feel good. I feel good because it's the environment that you're encountering. It's the spirit that you're encountering. We have access to that 24-7. We can access that anytime we want. We can be a part of that anytime we want. So it's unnatural to us in our spiritual condition. When you get in the spirit, all you got to do is start. When you're worried, start worshiping. When you're worried, just get into the presence of the Lord and the worry goes away. Look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more worthy than more valuable than they? Jesus is saying, look, the birds are on God's welfare plan. Right? He has to provide for them. He'll provide for them for no particular reason at all. And if he does that for them, how much more will he do it for you? Right? Worry is unhealthy and unhelpful. Who of you, Matthew 6, 27, who of you by adding, who of you by worrying can add an hour to your life? Worrying actually takes hours from your life. It doesn't give you anything, right? Worrying, it's it's unhelpful. And lastly, worrying is unnecessary. If God cares for the flowers which are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he surely care more for you? Oh, you of little faith. What he's really saying is have faith. Believe. Confront the smallness of your faith. And rise up with faith and believe that God is going to take care of you. Because he will. If he takes care of the trees, he takes care of the flowers, he takes care of the birds. I have a cat that lived on its own for a long time. Right? Cat never worried. It was out catching lizards. But then since he's discovered our yard and the little bowl of kibbles and bits that we put out for it, it never leaves the porch anymore. But that cat used to live out in the trees forever. It wasn't worried. 
He just found a better provision, a better place of provision. Cat's hungry, there goes a lizard. Oh, I'll eat that lizard. Lizard's hungry, lizard eats the bug, right? It's like this cycle. Snakes eating lizards, cats eating the snake, lizards eating bugs. <laughs> We're at the top of the food chain, thank God. But anyway, so if he takes care of them, will he not take care of you? So the first part is that make, a, make a, a quality decision that you're not going to worry. Second one is pray about everything. Never worry about anything. Instead, with every situation, let the Lord know in you what your needs are and your requests are. Philippians, that's the second part of 4.6, Philippians. Proverbs 12 says, anxiety weighs down the heart of a person. Is that not true? 1 Peter 5.7 says, Unload your worries upon the Lord because he's looking after you. That word unload, that word that's used there is the Greek word and it means drop. Just take your, your cares and drop them off. That's what it's saying. Just let them go. You're with just here, Lord, here. You deal with it. There's different types of prayers. So when the Bible's telling us to pray here, it's important that we understand the different types of prayers that there are, right? So there's intercessory prayer where you're standing in the gap and you're praying on behalf of someone, right? Then there's, there's, um, there's declarative prayers where you're taking the promises of God or the word of God and you begin to speak the word and begin to declare the word and begin to exert the word into a situation. That's a declarative prayer. There's warfare prayers, right? That's another type of prayer. There's worship prayers and adoration prayers where we talk to the Lord and we sing songs to him and we just declare his praises. It's kind of what goes on here with worship. And Diana's leading you in that. Those are prayerful interactions. Sherry's doing that. They're leading you in prayerful interactions. Those are worship prayers. This prayer that Paul is talking about here is called supplication. It means supply. So you're praying from the basis of asking for a supply. So all of these prayers have a different posture to them. I'm not going to be having a conversation with the Lord if I'm doing a warfare prayer. I'm not going to be having a conversation with the Lord if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a declarative prayer. Stand and speak. Declare it. Declare it. Right? But in supplication, it's a conversation. That's how it is. Supplication prayers are where you're communing with the Lord and you're discussing your need and you're acknowledging him and looking for the answer and the provision. That's what supplication is. Right? So pray about everything. So this is what it's talking about here is to be, have a supplication prayer and and a conversational prayer. And you say, what does it look like? It looks like this getting before the Lord and you go, Jesus, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of everything that's going on. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of this. You know what the Lord's going to go? Well, what do you need? I'll supply it. What do you need? Come on. The problem isn't, the problem isn't God's willingness to supply. The problem is the issue is that we don't know what we need. You know, God can't supply for you if you don't know what you need. What do you want? Read where Jesus said, what do you want? Read, go and do a word study where Jesus said, what do you want? Or where he said, what would you have me to do for you? Read where he says that. Jesus overlooks the obvious. He's not interested in doing for you what you don't ask him to do. He wants to know, do you know what you need? Lord, I'm afraid. Well, what do you need, Kevin? I don't know. I always tell Christians this. I tell this church this. If you don't know what you need, ask the Holy Spirit. How am I, what's going on with me? You're afraid. Why am I afraid? You're afraid of this. You're afraid of that. What do I need? You need courage. You need direction. Your fear is based in insecurity because you don't know which way to go. Your fear is based in circumstances. What do I need? You need courage. You need perspective. Some people need perspective. They're afraid because they have no perspective. So their need is not necessarily courage. Their need is the right perspective. You understand that? 
But if you don't know what you need, he cannot supply it for you. What do you need? Lord, I want a new job. Great. Lord, you know where I'm at. I'm struggling. It's hand to mouth over here. You know, just trying to get by. Uh, you, know, you know, again, there you go. You're acknowledging. And now, okay, well, what do you need, Kevin? What do you want, Kevin? What do you desire? I need a job that's an upgrade. I need a better job. That's what we do. That's how stupid we are. We're, we're so stupid. If you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. The minority of people in the Bible that really understood, really understood who he was. And you see them and they stand out. It's not because nobody can ask him. It's just because so few of us actually get it. We think of him in terms of a man. He's not like that. We think we're bothering him. We think we're putting a demand on him. Thing with Jesus, no matter what he gives you, if he needs more, he'll make it. You blow all your inheritance. You waste everything you got. You go back to him for more. He'll give you more. You, isn't he going to run out? He's never going to run out. He is El Shaddai. He is all sufficient. He is the sum total of sufficiency. If I don't have it, David, David, if I needed a place and I, everything I need, I take care of myself. So he told David. And if I did need anything, by the way, David, I wouldn't tell you. So he said, God is El Sufficiency. He's El Shaddai. He's all, he's all sufficient. He'll supply for you. There's always more. There's always more. Even if you blow it. I blew it. Oh, can't go God. I asked the Lord for that job and I just made a big mistake and I acted irresponsibly and I lost the job. Well, I just can't go back to the Lord and ask him for anything more. Who told you that? Who told you that? You know what he said? He'd look at you and go, Hadassah, what have we learned? Have we learned anything? Yes, Lord, I've learned that I need to show up on time. Yes, Lord, I've learned that I should keep my mouth shut and not get involved in gossip. Great. So now what do we need? I need another job. Good. I'm going to give you another job. I'm going to give you a better job because you use this last job to learn some valuable lessons. So now we're going to graduate you. We're not, not only am I going to supply for you, I'm going to graduate you. What do you want? I want a supervisor position. Okay. Why? Because so that I can have influence over the people at the job and so that I can have more control over the circumstances. Okay. Okay. Are you prepared for that? Well, you know, I got to take CAD classes. I got to do some Excel. I don't know CAD. I don't know Excel. Okay, Kevin. So I'll give you the supervisor job, but it, now it's your job to get it. I'll open the supervisor job, but you got to go take the CAD classes. You got to go take the Excel classes. Oh, but can't you just give me the job without it? You don't meet the qualifications of the thing that you're asking for. God's like, I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to have to prepare what is necessary. You need to know what you want. So in supply, even in this time, I tell people, believe God for opportunities. There are golden opportunities right now. People are so wound up in the circumstances, they blind themselves to the opportunities that are right in front of them. Because we listen to foreign voices. We listen to foreign voices and we don't listen to the voice of our father. Everybody's so worried. Listening, running around. What's COVID doing? I got to check COVID at seven in the morning. I got to check COVID at 12 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at noon. I got to check COVID at the six o'clock report. I got to check COVID at the 11 o'clock report. You're checking COVID four times a day. There are people that are doing that. Well, what's the report? What's the report? It doesn't matter what the report is. It doesn't matter what the government's doing. It doesn't matter what the, what the, with any of these voices that are speaking. The only voice that matters is the Lord. 
No matter the circumstances, what are you saying? What are you doing? What is your voice to me in this hour? Positioning ourselves with faith and believing God. That's the issue. But unfortunately, that's not what we that's not what you see culturally within the church. That's what we're supposed to be. Can you imagine a wave of people? Can you imagine all the Christians in this nation that had that mentality? What a roar there would be in the land. What faith would move across this country? Shaking and rattling the very foundations because the church rises in faith. The church has a different voice in this hour. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. America's coming across at the seams. Who told you that? Oh my gosh. COVID. Oh my gosh. Come on, guys. We have to look to our Father. That's my point. We have to look to our Father. You need to rouse yourself. That's what he told Adam. Whose voice have you been listening to that's not been mine? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were exposed? Who told you this was going to happen? Whose voice, Adam, have you been listening to that is not mine? Some of you need to get a pad of paper. You need to take down today and you need to get yourself a little bit of time and you need to sit down with a pen and a paper and you need to ask yourself, you need to subdue your pride because your pride will fight you. Oh, you don't listen to anybody. You only listen to Jesus. Oh, yeah? That's how we are. We're so arrogant. Our pride blinds us. Pride is one of the disqualifications and one of the things that will disqualify you. Quitting and pride will disqualify you. Yeah? Arrogance, an unwillingness to change, a pride, a selfish pride, a pride that protects sin, a pride that protects ego. That's exactly what David was talking about. An ego-protecting pride. Lord, whose voice have I been listening to that is not your own? Tell me. Tell me. Holy Spirit, who have I been listening to that's not you? And then we just go, we, 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 we just have to do what we do. Because I, I, I'm a human being. I've learned differently. I've learned. What we do is we protect ourselves. Lord, whose voice have I been listening to that's not my own? And we only let him tell us this much because we're guarding ourselves. No, let him wound you. Let him go boom. And let it go <gasps> Let him hit you where you live. Let him tell you what the issue is. Jesus doesn't tell you your issues to harm you. He tells you your issues to transform you. He doesn't tell you your issues to to disqualify you. He tells you your issues so that he can move your life forward. We live in his dream world. We're just so afraid of him. We We think he's going, well, I don't want the Lord to think badly of me. He already knows your ego problem, dude. You're the only one you're hiding it from. The only person you're hiding it from is you. You have to go, Lord, where am I listening? What voices am I listening to that are not your own? What directions am I following that are not yours? And let him tell you. Supplication is bringing the problem to the Lord and acknowledging God as the answer. I have a need, Lord. What do you need, Kevin? This is my problem. I have anxiety. What is it that you need? I don't know what I need. Holy Spirit, what do I need? You are, you're, you're worried and you're afraid based because of what? Because of the voices that you're listening to. Let him tell you. Okay, what voices am I listening to? You're worried and afraid because you're seeing this whole thing the wrong way. Okay, Lord, how am I seeing it? You're seeing it this way. Have I said that? No, you haven't. But yet you're seeing it. You need a change in perspective. This is how this faith works. This is how the gospel comes alive. This is how we live this thing and not observe it. It's rules and rituals without the Holy Spirit. It's all it is. Powerlessness. 
We need, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. It's the spirit and the word together. That's what makes the word alive. The word is living and powerful and sharper than any edged two-edged sword. The word becomes flesh. Right? Jesus, not just the word, it became flesh when Jesus, I get it, dude. But that's an ongoing process. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only about the Father full of grace and truth. I get it. I get it. But the word becomes flesh even now. The manifestation of the glory of God and the manifestation, the reality of what God has spoken in the spirit can come into the natural. It can. And that's what he wants. You need to give yourself wholly to the Lord. You need to let him change you. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. No matter what it costs you. If it costs you all of you, happy day. Good for you. No man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give up everything of you. Let it, all, let it cost me everything that I may gain what can never be taken from me. Take everything from me, Lord. All of my pride, all of my thinking, every, every part of me that is dysfunctional and arrogant and selfish. We teach, we teach self-management in our churches. The Bible doesn't teach self-management. Well, you just need to, you know, just gotta need to guide yourself. I don't need to guide myself. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. My dysfunctions, your dysfunctions, our dysfunctions as human beings are too heavy for us. I can hold the weight. I need to manage. It's like putting 350 pounds on a bench press and laying there. Eventually, that press is going to come down on you. You cannot hold it for long. And when your muscles get tired, anybody ever done that? Your muscles get tired, that weight comes down. Now you can't move it at all. That's self-management. You can't do it. The Bible's into transformation. Literally, functionally, totally changing you. But you've got to be, you've got to be just, you, you, you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing. Our, our problem is, is that we're not willing. The good news is, is that if you want to be, if you want him to change you, he'll change you in sections. He'll change you a little bit at a time. We think he's going to overwhelm us. He's not, but he will do it. I dare you. Lord, take my world apart. Every part of me, every single aspect of my life, take it apart. I dare you. I dare you to say that not with pretense, but to say that with meaning. I dare you. I dare you. He'll do it. He will completely do it. And the person that emerges from that process will be a thousand times the person that was before they went into it. People can't do it. Or they say it. They say they make the word statement, but their heart is guarded. There's a guard over their heart. Like I'm saying this, but it really isn't whole. You know what I'm talking about. You know the difference. You know when you're guarding. Oh, yes, Lord. Of course, Lord. Yes, anything you say, Lord. But there's a guard there. You know, you, you kind of mean it, but you really, it's not really everything. Third thing is thank him in everything. Ask for supplication. You need to believe God for something. Acknowledge what you're going through, what your issues are. I'm afraid. I'm alone. I'm a this. I'm a that. Whatever it is, ask him. And then, then look to him for the answer and ask him to supply. And then make sure you specifically know what it is you're asking for. What are you asking for? <laughs> ask and I'll give you the nations. He'll give you the nations, man. That's pretty bold. It's pretty bold. How big's your faith? How big's your faith? <laughs> Thomas, let us go with him that we may die with him. Then Thomas doubted him, right? People will say, doubting Thomas. Really? Have you read the story of Thomas? Thomas wanted to die with Jesus because when he thought Jesus was going to do, and Thomas had a vision of Jesus that was too small. 
Thomas's vision was that Jesus was going to take over the world or take over Jerusalem. And so he's like, he's going to do it. Let's go and die with him. And then when Jesus was crucified, Thomas says, well, it didn't happen the way I thought. And so Thomas was, became the doubter. And Jesus, when he appeared to him, he said, it wasn't that you didn't have a vision, Thomas. It was that your vision was too small. You thought I was going to do something immediate. I'm going to do something eternal. Your vision was too small. You saw me too small. Thank Jesus in everything. When you ask God for what you need, thank him for all that he's done. Philippians 4, 6. Here's a good one. Somebody should put this on your... This is a good one for Facebook. It's a good one for like a little Twitter blurb or whatever it is you use, you know. You cannot be thankful and unhappy at the same time. That's a fact. It is impossible to be grateful and unhappy at the same time. It can't be done. It can't be done. You can't be walking around going, man, Lord, I just thank you for this beautiful day. I'm so unhappy. And those two things cannot coexist. Gratitude and depression cannot exist in the, same, in the same sphere. They're diametrically opposed. You can't be thankful and unhappy at the same time. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you what I said first service. Most Christians... If you ask them honestly, they want to please the Lord, right? Like, oh, Lord, what's your will? Just tell me the will through my life. And there are certain passages in the Bible, not a lot, but there are a few, that tell you what the direct will of God is. And here he's telling you what the direct will of God is for your life. Give thanks in everything, not for everything, in everything. In every situation, you're not thinking, well, God, I just thank you that my car blew up. You're not thanking him for your car blew up. You're thanking him, Lord, in this circumstance, I just thank you. Here's faith. I thank you that that car blew up. And Lord, I just give you glory because I've been wanting a new car. (laughs) And I know this circumstance is going to turn around for my good. I may be without a car for a few days, but I know you're going to come through. That's right. Not only are you going to pay off this car, you're going to give me a new one. I thank you, Lord. You thank him in everything, not for everything. It's the will of God. This is the will of God for your life. So here are the other one. There's the fourth one. Reprogram your mind. Philippians says, fill your minds with things that are true, good, and right. Think on things that are pure, beautiful, respectable. If anything is excellent, if anything is worthy of honor, think upon those things. We live in a culture in the United States, and I bless this country, and I bless this land, but we're concerned with environmental pollution. Okay, we're, in, we're concerned with water pollution. Okay, we're concerned with body pollution. Okay, but almost nobody is concerned with mind pollution. No one. Isn't that interesting? We pollute our minds on a daily basis. We pollute and corrupt our souls on a daily basis. I got people that go, I'm plant-based, brother. I would never eat any meat. I don't eat things from then. I'm all for it. I'm all in. I'm like, hey, that's great. I just don't want to put those toxins in my body. That's great, but you're putting the toxins through your eyes right into your heart. You're putting those toxins in your ears right into your heart. You ever thought of that? It's interesting what the Bible gives emphasis on. It gives very little to to the earth. It tells us to steward it, make sure we do it right. And it puts an emphasis there, but it doesn't go overboard. But it puts a huge emphasis on our souls and what we put in our hearts. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. What's the Bible saying? Take care and notice of what you put in your heart because everything you put in your heart is going to affect all of the issues of your life. We watch all of this stuff. We watch all of this negativity. We listen to all these voices and we don't put the word of God in our heart. We don't put worship in our heart. We don't put fellowship in our heart. We don't put communion in our heart. 
We just don't do it. And we wonder why we have a negative attitude. We wonder why our faith is so small because you've sown nothing into your heart that will build your faith. Why would your faith not be small when all you're hearing is doom and gloom? Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. If the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? Remember that the Lord is holy in his temple. He's still on the throne. I have to tell myself this a lot. <laughs> go, oh my gosh, Lord, what, what's going on? He'll go, if the foundations be destroyed, I'm on the throne still, Kevin. I'm in control. I'm in control. We need, say this with me, if I want peace in my soul, I'm going to have to learn to control what I allow in. That's right. If you want peace in your soul, you're going to have to learn to control what you allow in. There are things that corrupt us. We, the gates to our soul are our eyes and our ears and the environments that we find ourselves in. The atmosphere creates issues in our soul. People, places, and things. The things that go through our eyes is a gate and your ears are a gate. Some of you, the things that come out of your mouth, you need to stop saying those things. You need to not speak negatively. You need to speak positively. If it kills you, you need to grip the counter. Like a passing language in our house. It's not that we don't deal with things. We deal with a lot of things all the time. But we always have this passing thing between us. Good things are happening. We say that all the time. We'll look at each other. Sherry, look at me. And she'll go, Kevin, good things are happening. And I'll look at her and I'll go, Sherry, good things are happening. Good things are happening. God is moving. Good things are happening. Where are we setting our heart upon? What are we setting our affections on? We're not running around ruminating. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, wearing a, wearing, a, wearing a trench in the carpet because we're pacing the floor so much. Right? We just confess good things are happening. God is doing something. Father, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something good. And I can't wait to see it. With anticipation, I look to you. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this circumstance. I don't know how I'm going to turn the corner on this. I don't know how this is going to happen, but you're going to do it. And even if it doesn't go the way that I want, you're still going to use it and you're going to prosper me another way. That's faith. That's not circumstances. That's faith. That's the profession of faith. I was just reading in uh, Hebrews. The word for faith is the word is a, is a Greek or is a Hebrew word called amen. That's the root. It's the same root as the word amen. And so when God is talking about faith, he's saying amen. What is he saying? Agreement. That's what amen means. So be it. I agree. So when you say amen, you're saying I agree. So be it. Yeah. So when you amen the Lord, you're saying I agree. When you believe in the Lord, you're saying, Lord, I agree with what you say. Amen, Lord. I agree. That's faith. God says you're not going down. He says you're going over. Your life's not stopping. Who told you that? What does God say? What are you going to amen? We're going to amen? There's lots of things in this culture that want, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not, it's not worthy of your attention. There's only one that is worthy of your attention. Humble adoration. Some of you are called to different things. You're called into arenas and you're called into influential spheres and you're called to make a difference in that sphere, right? You're called, you know, political office. You're called to city things. You're called to county things. You're called to national things. You're called to, you know, corporate things. You're called to things. But the goal is not to just do that. The goal is to take the mind of the Lord and the will of the Lord into those matters, 
So it's not listening to the voices that are going on in there. It's being aware of the field, but then hearing what God's way is. That's how we do it. We guard our heart. We protect what comes into us. The last thing is we have to be content. Everybody say, ouch. Right, be content. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 4, 11 and 12. I have learned to be content. That's, that's, just, that's it right there. You were not born with contentment. We have to learn to be content. Contentment, say this with me. Contentment is not the opposite of ambition. So we say, well, just be content. It's as if you're laying on a couch with no ambition. <laughs> Why doesn't your husband get up and get a job? Well, he's just content. He's just, it's just him, Mr. Contentment. Why don't you change things? Well, I'm content. Contentment is not an absence of ambition. It's, a, it's an absence of coveting. Coveting says, I'll do this when, or I want this more than I'll do. I want this before I'll do that. It's like a demand posture. If you give me this, then I'll do that. That's coveting. Contentment means I'm going to be happy regardless of the happenings. It's a decision. It's another quality decision. No matter what's going on, I've determined that I'm going to be happy. I think myself happy. That's what Paul said. I think myself happy. We need to think ourselves happy. I'm content. Coveting is when you're in this kind of thing. Happiness is not based on your external surrounding. It's actually the same thing as joy. It's where the word rejoice comes from. We go rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But we don't even know what that means. What does it mean to find rejoice? You know what rejoice means? Go find joy. That's what rejoice means. Go find it. Rejoice in all things. Give thanks in all things. It's the same concept, right? Go find joy. I just rejoice in this circumstance. Where am I going to find joy in this circumstance? Contentment is a decision. I choose to be content. I choose to be happy. Not based upon happenings. I have learned to be content. I've learned that I just need to be chill. Wait on the Lord, let him do his thing, do everything that I can do, but not be moved by the circumstances, to wait for him. Here it is, refuse to worry, easy to, do, easy to say, difficult to do. Reach for Jesus in prayer, easy to say, difficult to do. Return to worship, be thankful in everything, for, in everything. easy to say, difficult to do. Reprogram your thinking, huh? that's a huge one. Be thankful, and then lastly, remind yourself to be content. All of these things are easy to say, but difficult to do. But thank God, he gives you the answer. Do you know, Paul gives us this incredibly difficult list of things in Philippians chapter 4. And then at the end, he tells us the power by which we can achieve it. You know that? This is one of the most famous verses, most quoted verses in all of the Bible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We quote that. I know guys running 5K, guys running 5Ks. They got the shirt on, running the 5K. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as they're running a 5K. Hey, that's great. Guys at the gym, still out in 250. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's great. But the application of that verse in its context is to be applied to the things I just told you. Say, it's difficult for me to not worry. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's difficult for me to pray and to have thanksgiving or ask for supplication. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's difficult for me to worship. You can do all things. It's difficult to reprogram my mind. You can do all things. It's difficult to be content. You can be do all things. And what does that look like? That looks like the power of the Spirit. That's what it means. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not a mantra. It's a reality that's possible. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That word for strengthen, this is an important one. And when this is taught, this word needs to be explained. I can do all things who gives me strength or who strengthens me. It's the Greek word kratos, and it means inward strength. It literally is God's strength inside of you. That's what he's saying. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who puts his strength in me. That's what it's saying. In other words, you don't have the ability. But God says, I will give you the kratos that belongs to me. I will give you the inward strength that is mine. I'll give it to you. How do we get that? Holy Spirit. Strength. It's impartation. This is another aspect of our faith that we need to deeply, deeply understand and practice habitually is impartation. Father, right now, I don't know what to do. I'm really afraid. Holy Spirit, what, do I, what am I afraid of? You're afraid of the circumstances. What do I need, Lord? I don't even know what I need. You need courage. Holy Spirit, I need courage. I believe, Lord. I'm afraid this is what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure about the future. I don't know how to face the day. I need courage. I know, Lord, you supply courage. The righteous are bold as lions. I am righteous before you, and I am bold before you because you make me bold. So right now, Lord, I give you my anxiety. This is impartation, and I receive your courage. And you don't just go, here's what we do. And I receive your courage. That's not how it works. It is an impartation. There is power associated with it. You understand that? Right now, I receive your courage and just let the power of God just begin to move into you. And when the power of God's moving into you, what's going on? The very thing that you ask for is being imparted to you. He's not just tickling you. He's imparting to you. If you will allow him, he will impart the courage that you need. I'm confused. I don't know what to do, Lord. I just, this is supplication. Lord, I'm confused. I don't understand what, what I'm supposed to do. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, so I'm coming to you. I don't know what I need. Oh, yeah, I think I need wisdom. Yeah, I need wisdom. Okay, I need wisdom. So I'm asking you to supply wisdom. So Lord, I just want to give you my confusion. Release. I want to give you my confusion. And I want to receive your wisdom. I just received the wisdom of the Lord. This is what we do. We fall short. There's power associated with this. Lord, I receive your wisdom. And let the anointing begin to flow over you. And when the anointing is flowing over you, the impartation of that anointing is directly related to what you ask for. And you let the anointing flow into you. And you let the anointing flow over you. And you let it move. And you let it expand. And you let it do everything it's doing until it comes down and gets still. That's impartation. We go, Lord, give me your wisdom. And we get a little, whoo, okay, I got God's wisdom. You didn't, even, you, you didn't even dip your toe in the water. And that's even if Christians want to even interact with the Spirit. You want to interact with the Spirit, it's like, boom, let the anointing come. It's in the anointing. It's in the anointing. Oh, God, I need wisdom. We think like you're going to, he's going to give us a book. No, he's going to impart. All of the believer's inheritance is in the anointing. Everything. The anointing is everything. Everything, 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 everything is the anointing. The power is in the anointing. We are Christians. You know what that means? Anointed ones. Christ means anointed. Christ, what Jesus was, the Christ, the anointed one. We are Christites. We are icons of anointing. Ite or icon is image. Christ is anointing. So the Christian, we're, I've heard it taught like this. We're supposed to be little Jesuses. No, we're not Jesusites. We're Christites. We are images of anointing. The image, the Satan, so we're supposed to look like, yeah, I get that. But the anointing is what's supposed to be prevalent in our life. We're supposed to reveal that. That's another time. But it's in the anointing, Christian. 
And if you do not learn the, if you don't do not learn the basis of impartation, you're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. It's a kingdom of power, love in the spirit, peace, love, and joy in the spirit. But it's a kingdom of power. I did not come to you with tongue tinkling, tinkling words, Paul said. I came to you with what? Demonstration and power. That's the kingdom of God. And it can be active and present. We don't need to do a healing line to see a manifestation of God in your life. You can receive through the anointing and you can receive wisdom. And Lord, I need wisdom. And you can walk into that office and over the course of time, the wisdom that manifests out of you is unlike anybody in your surroundings. And it's not because you just suddenly became genius overnight. It's because you're activating the anointing that's yours by right. It's yours by right. Lord, give me the anointing for this. Don't just say it. Well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to give me the anointing. Well, why don't you get it right now? Right now. The, the, the water's moving. The well's there. <laughs> so we're going to close. It's the kratos of God. It's done through impartation. So I'm going to end the live stream, and then we're just going to do a quick... Well, you got, we'll just throw the live stream up there. Whatever, man. All right. So if you want to... Let's just receive an anointing. Let's just do a little supplication transaction here today. Let's just do a little practice. Can we do a practice? If you don't need anything, that's fine. If you don't need anything, you should look to your brother or sister to the right or the left and say, is there anything I can believe God for you for? Okay? But if you need something, if you're in a situation and you're in a circumstance and you feel the weight upon you, acknowledge where you're at. What is, where are you? I'm unsure. What do you need? I'm not sure what I need. Ask Holy Spirit, what do I need? Wisdom. Holy, first word, first response. Let him tell you what you need. If you need something, stand on your feet. We're going to just do a little impartation. It's harmless. It's not harmless. It's powerful. It's interactive. So we're just going to pray. So what I want you to do is I want you to understand where you are, so if you're afraid, if you're unsure, if you're in need, whatever, whatever it may be, we're gonna, whatever, whatever it is you're struggling with, we're just gonna, we're gonna offer that to the Lord. So we're just gonna say this, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus as a son or a daughter of the highest. I come before you in rightful obedience of asking you in the prayer of supplication, for what I need. Lord, this is the circumstance. This is the situation. These are the emotions that I'm dealing with. And I just, whatever it is, I just want you to, you know what it is. You don't have to tell anyone. I just want you to offer it. Just offer it. Here it is, Lord. You're going to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need for that matter to be resolved? Whatever it may be. And let him tell you, first word, what do you need? Okay? Whatever it is. And you say, by faith, I receive that, according to the promise, imparted to me by power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I activate that, and I release it, and give the Holy Spirit permission. And say, I give the Holy Spirit permission to activate that anointing and that presence now i just want you to open up your spirit just open up boom you can feel flow come right over you it's going to move right over you you're going to feel power 
and it feels super clear. Whatever you feel, open up. If it's even if it's a little tiny drain drop, I just feel a little drop, then open it up. Open it up. Take the roof off the car if you have to. Let the water come in. Let the power come in. Let the flow happen. Just open up and receive it. Let it flow. Let the power come into you. The power is going to expand. It's going to get bigger. You're going to feel like it's almost like pushing out of you. Let it push out of you. Let it go to its furthest extent. It's just let the anointing flow. The anointing will flow. Room will be made for it. You'll push past the boundaries and your limitations. And everything will come down and it'll get really still. And when it gets still, that's it's the completion. It'll just get calm. And when you feel the calmness, the power, the expansion, and then it'll come calm. And that's, he's, he's done what he's done it. All right, I'm going to give you soakers. Ten seconds. So soak in another ten seconds. You can go back and do it at your house if you want to. You can lay out for an hour if you want to. All right. And we're done. Amen? Did you guys sense that? Impartation. It's going to happen. You're going to suddenly feel, all of a sudden, it's just going to happen. You're going to be wise. You're going to have an answer. It's like, you know, what, what? How do I know that now? Because he imparted it to you. Amen? Okay. All right. Well, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you, Elevate, for watching us online. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. For all you here, grateful for you.